This evening, we are going to get into a night of answering questions. Now, you will notice that my diagram looks different than the original, and I want to emphasize their smiley faces on mine. This is what I would like to see as I go through the different questions. I just want to leave this here for a moment so that you all know what we're getting into for the night. So anyway, it is good to see each of you back tonight. And uh, over the past several weeks, people have been submitting different questions in, and we have been getting those and putting them in a database and putting them under certain categories, putting a date off to the side. And as we have collected those, um, by the grace of God, I will answer each of those over time. <laughs> Not immediately. It's going to be with a little bit of time here. So let me say after the first dozen or so questions came in, I quickly realized some of you have been holding on to your questions for 30 years, <laughs> waiting for your opportunity for a Q&A at a church service on a Sunday night. And the reason I know that is because your questions came too fast and too specific and literally, we did not even get the page up before there was this mini tidal wave of biblical trivia and personal curiosity and cultural confusion that was coming our way. So anyway, uh, all that being said, it has been um, enjoyable and it's been enlightening to read through the different questions. Let me also say, I think I've discovered that some of you are either testing my um, <laughs> consistency or my willingness to keep answering. Because some of them were the exact same questions I have personally emailed out an answer to. So I don't know if somebody's saying, I'm just gonna see if he's got a different perspective if I put it in this, I'm not sure. But all I could say is, uh, Lord willing, we're gonna work our way through a lot of these and um, hopefully they're gonna be helpful in your life. So as we embark on this new facet of, of our Sunday nights at Sherwood, uh, I want to lay out some preliminary pieces for this evening and just recognize I, I'm not going to do this every time, but I just want to try my best to be able to kind of set the stage for what these nights are going to look like. So first, my goal on these evenings is to tackle between five to ten different questions that have been coming in. And tonight is going to be a little bit less. We're going to get to four questions because I'm doing overview pieces and I'm setting up some stuff on the front side. But the goal is maybe five to ten questions. Uh, we will do our best to advertise these topics in advance so that you know what is coming and also so that you can prepare for what is coming. And the reason I say that is because if some of the topics, and they are, might be a little bit more sensitive to a younger audience, I want you all to know about that in advance so that you can prepare accordingly. So let me give you a couple of thoughts on that. First, I'm going to do my best, regardless of the question that comes, I'm going to do my best to word things, share things in a way that parents are not going to have to go home and have an awkward conversation they're not prepared to have at that moment. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, so sometimes if I seem vague, it's because I want to make sure that we are getting the basics out, but not necessarily going into something uh, that parents are not, um, I guess, prepared for. So that being said... Um, my idea of what I feel like might be appropriate and your idea of what, me, what might be appropriate could be two different things. So if in doubt, take them out. Does that make sense? All right. Uh, next part on that is some of the information that is going to be maybe a little bit more sensitive, I'm going to specifically share at the end of the evening. 
and I'm going to kind of give a little verbal cue and say, hey, this is a topic we're about to get into, and that way, if that's something that you're concerned about, that might also be another opportunity to step out with some of the younger kids. And then the third part of that is we have this beautiful, wonderful, gorgeous, fully staffed, Jesus-loving group of people in children's ministry that would be more than happy on Sunday night um, to receive your children if you feel like that would be a good fit there. So all of that being said, Lord willing, it's going to be a good time. Now, next piece, the answers that I am going to provide should be seen for exactly what they are. It is one believer's attempt to share biblically and reasonably about a topic based upon my research and my experience. That means I'm not going to be able to cover every angle. It means I will not always know what the specific nuance or the the focus that somebody had whenever they put the question in. I'm going to do my best to answer those things. Um, So if you don't like my answer, or if you wish I would have answered it differently, or if you wish I would have taken it from a different angle, um, I'm terribly sorry about that. I'm going to ask you to uh, feel free to email me at jim at sherwoodbaptist.com. So anyway, I'm just going to say I'm somewhat joking, somewhat serious. There's only so many layers that you can put in on this. So just know I'm going to try my best to answer things to the best of my ability. Now, this next one might sound strange, but I am not going to answer these in the order in which they were received which is definitely not what you normally hear. Um, I'm actually going to answer them according to the four T's, and I'm going to give you my four T's. Uh, Time, themes, timing, and threshold. So here's the the time one. Depending upon the complexity, the difficulty of a particular question, it might be that it's something that can be answered in two minutes or 25 minutes. So if we get towards the end of the evening and I've got five minutes left, I'm going to pick a five-minute answer for that final five minutes. Does that make sense? So some of them is just going to be about time. How much time do we have to work through things? Also, themes. Um, We have categorized each of the questions under certain themes, such as doctrine, salvation, the Bible, Christian living, uh, creation and evolution, marriage and family, evangelism, God, heaven, church, you name it. So because of the fact a lot of these are coming in under certain themes, we might simply do a theme night and just address everything on that night that deals with, say, marriage and family or creation and evolution. We'll just see, but we'll also let you all know in advance. The next word there is timing. Uh, Timing is different than time. Uh, Timing is about sharing a difficult idea at the right moment in time. The right thing at the wrong time creates more and more problems. Solomon said there is a time for everything under the sun. So if the timing is right, then hard topics can be something addressed without heightened emotions. If the timing is wrong, then even easy topics can become very disruptive within the body. So a great example of this would be addressing Christians and politics two weeks before a major election. That's like a lightning rod waiting to happen right there. So... Here's the question, do we need to address Christians and politics? You betcha, cowboy, we absolutely do. 100%, 
Elections have consequences. Elections impact culture, future, religious liberty, education, every part of society. We are called as believers to engage within our culture, to be salt and light within our culture, to live our convictions according to Scripture within our culture. All of that is absolutely important. But it's also important we recognize that we don't shy away from truth, but we do prayerfully ask God for timing in which to share certain truths. So here's the the final T, and that is threshold. Threshold is how much information we can receive in one particular evening. So if I have two or three really hard questions on the front side, and our brains are about to fry, I'm probably going to add a couple of easier ones in towards the end, let everybody come up for air for just a few moments. Okay? Makes sense. All right, so here's our next piece. This is important. I am hoping that these nights are going to answer personal questions, but at the same time explain two sides of a greater need that we face within the church. Um, A lot of questions are sent to me, and I do mean a lot of questions, and I want to answer each of the questions that get sent to me. But if I'm going to be honest, it gets overwhelming. It gets overwhelming. So over the past 24 years, I've had the privilege of pastoring thousands of different people, and I'm still very connected with thousands of those through social media, through email, through text, through phone calls. In case you were wondering, there's close to 4,000 people who are members right here at Sherwood, and there's thousands of others who watch online and submit questions and thoughts as well. I am absolutely grateful for the pastor's And the staff, the small group leaders, ministry leaders, mature believers who serve and care and work with people through the questions that they're walking through. All of that being said, there's still a lot of those questions that come my direction. The reason I bring this up is because I do not ever want to ignore questions that people have. I understand people have needs and I want to try to respond. So sometimes a lot of what we will try to do is try to connect a person with somebody who can answer that question in an accurate way and in a timely way to make sure that needs are not going unmet for a long period of time. But at the same time, on these particular nights, I'm not only trying to answer the questions that specifically came, I'm trying to answer other people's questions that also might be around that same topic as well. So if I kind of get into here's a basic question and I expand it out a little bit, it's because I'm trying to answer it for maybe other people in the room or others who are watching that also might have similar questions. And at the same time, I'm going to be teaching in these nights different techniques, different places that people can go in order to find a lot more of the answers themselves. I I want to equip the small group leaders. I want to equip believers as a whole on here's some trusted sites, here's a trusted process, here's a way in which people can find a lot of those answers. Also, final piece here is, unless otherwise noted, I am going to read the question to you in the exact same format it came to me. I I want to do that because I think it's important that you hear sometimes the urgency, sometimes the hurt in the voice, sometimes the wording that is used. I don't want to sterilize somebody's question. I want you to hear the question as it has come in to me. Does that make sense? All right. So 
Let's have a word of prayer before we go any further on this. Heavenly Father, as we're about to get into different pieces that are so relevant to where people are walking and to the life of the church, God, give us the ability to be able to walk through things well. May your spirit guide into all truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing that I am going to introduce you all to is an idea that I refer to as a question triage. If you are wondering about that idea, what triage is, um, let me kind of give a couple of pieces to set this up. Uh, The word triage is often used in hospitals and counseling clinics. It refers to a preliminary assessment to determine the urgency of a need as well as the nature of the treatment that is required. It, It makes perfect sense to say, for example, if somebody shows up in an emergency room and maybe they've been in a car accident and they're showing up, medical professionals need to immediately look at this person. They might see there's blood on the person's body, they got cuts and abrasions, they're unconscious, they're not responding, and they wanna make sure that they can correctly diagnose what's happening with that person and to be able to treat the most critical needs first to make sure that they are not bandaging a minor wound while the person bleeds out on a table. Does that make sense? So in an idea of, say, question triage, what we get into here is there's certain types of questions and certain ways that you can walk through pieces that will help a person to understand layers to the questions that come to you. And these are the ones that it might seem like overkill on my side as we're about to get into this. But here's the way I'm processing the questions that come to me. And what I would encourage you to do is when you have somebody share a need with you, a question with you, they email you, think through these particular pieces. And we're going to walk through them one by one here in just a moment. So first is prayerfully. I got this underlined. Prayerfully seek to understand before answering. Prayerfully seek to understand before answering. Um, Questions in this format are going to be sent to me in a way which I don't have the luxury of walking through each of these these steps. And a part of the reason for that is we wanted to set up an online way for people to be able to submit their questions, but we also did it in a way where people could submit them and remain anonymous. We wanted to do that because sometimes if people knew the name, they wouldn't actually ask the question. So We wanted to do that, but because of that, it means I don't get a chance to go back and ask a question like, can you help me understand a little bit about what you mean here? Or can you pull this part out a little bit more? Like, you don't have the luxury of doing that in this this particular format. But when you do have somebody come to you personally, and it's more of a one-on-one thing, I would encourage you, prayerfully seek to understand before answering. That is, listen to what's personal, listen to what is painful, listen to what is repeated, listen to what is said, listen to what is not being said. Listen for those different pieces, understand the situation as best you can before trying to speak into that situation. Um, It doesn't necessarily change what the answer is going to be, but often it will change the way we respond. Sometimes if you know more of the story behind it, you got more grace when you respond. Sometimes we need to understand those pieces. The next piece there is identify big and or repeated pieces. Uh, Most questions are multifaceted and can, can become more confusing than what they really are. So I'm gonna give an example of this and I want you to put yourself in this scenario because these are the types of questions that I will receive many times 
But if you've been in the church for any period of time, chances are you've gotten something similar. If you've served as a small group leader, you've gotten something similar. But these are the types of questions that would come in. Somebody calls or they text at 9.30 p.m. and they say, my life is messed up. My marriage is falling apart. Our finances are ruined. My 16-year-old is getting into trouble at school. I've been depressed for months. My doctor tells me that I need to be on antidepressants, but I'm against taking medicine. I believe in God. I'm trying to do the best I can, but God's not answering my prayers. On top of that, my best friends are going through a divorce, and I don't know how to help them. And a friend of mine said, I needed to talk to you that you could help. How do I need to proceed from here? Now, if that comes to you, how do you respond? Do you address the marriage crisis, the teenager crisis, the financial crisis, the depression? Do you address the, the medical needs? Like, how do you process through that? I encourage you, identify big and or repeated pieces. The reason I think that is so important is because when you begin to identify the bigger pieces that are there, it helps a complex issue become something that is now a little bit more manageable in a way in which you can walk somebody through it in a biblical way. So the first part, if you're a member of our question triage, is prayerfully seek to understand before answering. So a part of that is ask some other questions. Ask God to give you wisdom in that moment, help you to understand what the person is walking through and where they're coming from, so that when you do answer, you're able to answer based upon understanding. Also, ask the questions that sometimes might be uncomfortable in the moment, but it's going to lead to the best possible solution for that person. And as they answer, begin to pay attention to big ideas, repeated phrases, repeated ideas, that's going to be helpful. The third part there is focus on the most critical pieces first. Focus on the most critical pieces first. Uh, are there things that are time sensitive? Uh, things like that need immediate touch, like food, shelter, safety. Those things address those pieces first. And once those issues are addressed, then begin to look at some of the areas in which if you address one big piece, it has the capacity to impact all of those underneath it. So, for example, a statement that you've heard me say many times before, everything God desires to do in and through your life, he will accomplish out of the overflow of your relationship with him. Everything. It flows out of an intimate relationship with God. Here's the thing. When people are walking in right relationship with God, it impacts their marriage. When they're walking in right relationship with God, they make wiser financial decisions. If they're walking in right relationship with God, they know better how to respond to their teenagers. See, all of those things, if, if you can help the person focus on a big piece that impacts the others, focus on the critical issues first. The, the next one there is give biblical truth and clarify other opinions. Uh, if a question is clearly within Scripture, Give the biblical answer first. But at the same time, there are questions that come to us that there's not a clear Bible verse to go back to. And in that, we need to be careful to say, this is my opinion. 
This is the perspective that I have gained. This is a denominational understanding. Be careful to let people see the difference between what is clearly in Scripture versus what is opinion. So here's a couple of those types of questions that would fall into that category. Um, For example, if somebody asks, how long should my devotional time be? There's not a Bible verse that says, here is the set standard of time that is an appropriate time to be alone with God devotionally. Or somebody says, can you help me understand how a husband and a wife are to split the chores and the responsibilities of the home? Well, there's not a Bible verse that says, these are all the things the man is to do, these are all the things the woman is to do. So many times what you're doing in that moment is you're saying, I can give you my perspective, and as best I can, I I want you to hear it for what it is. This is my perspective. This is what I learned. Here's how another family that I know, this is how they break it. It's be careful about giving personal opinion and it coming out as though that's biblical truth that you're sharing in that moment. Don't confuse those two pieces. And then the final part there is admit limitations and defer when needed. If you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know is an answer. It's not what somebody wants to hear, but it's an answer. Um, Ultimately, we want people to get the help they need. Ultimately, we want people to walk in greater levels of truth. And Lord willing, over time, by answering questions according to Scripture and according to wisdom, they're going to get exactly that. But sometimes it is in deferring that person to someone else that you are putting them with someone who knows that subject better, who has the time to be able to address that better, and it gives them the greatest opportunity to walk away in a healthy state in that as opposed to quickly just throwing something their direction. So, that being said, you are now all set, and we're going to go into our first question of the evening. We're talking about spiritual gifts. So here's the question that came to me. How do we find our spiritual gifts? Great question. In fact, in a few moments, I'm going to share a website with you that is a wonderful free website, great resource that helps people know exactly um, how it is that they can identify those. And And I'm going to try to put some parameters around that towards the end. But I think it's important that we take just a moment and kind of break this down into what the bigger pieces are. And that is our knowledge and our development of spiritual gifts impacts a lot of part of our life. So, for example, it's going to impact our understanding of serving others. It's going to impact our growth as a disciple. Disciples pursue Jesus by loving God, uniting with believers. Here is serving the world and entrusting the gospel. We need to understand our spiritual gifts in that. Also, it's going to impact our view of the body of Christ. There is something beautiful when you understand the diversity of gifts that are within the body of Christ and how they work together for the benefit of the body as a whole. And then finally, it's going to impact our ability to make the greatest impact while minimizing burnout. So the question itself might seem very simple, and for the most part, it's an easy one to address in Scripture. I just want you to see from the very beginning that one question has a lot of relevance to discipleship in the body and serving and burnout and all of the other pieces that come with that. So I'm going to give a couple of pieces here. One is our definition. A spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit 
to every believer that is to be used to serve others and build up the body of Christ. That is a simple, basic definition of what we find with a spiritual gift. Now, our spiritual gifts are those, if you want to study the the texts that are going to describe them and to bring them out, we've got four primary texts that you're going to find in Scripture about spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4. Those are your primary texts that are going to describe the gifts and talk about how they are used, talk about the way that they are distributed, talk about how the Holy Spirit has given them to others. So all of those are going to be extremely important. Now, from that... There has been categories of spiritual gifts that have been shared through different biblical scholars over the years. Most of those are broken down into two different groups. There are sign gifts, speaking gifts, and serving gifts. That's one way that they're described. Then there are are manifestation gifts, motivational gifts, and ministry gifts. Now, both of those are two different sets of terminology to describe the same types of gifts. So it's not saying there's six different gifts. It's just saying there's three categories that are defined in two different ways. Now, that being said, all of those are going to be based upon those four texts that I just gave a moment ago. And from those four texts, I'm going to give you five basic pieces that come along with the idea of spiritual gifts. So here's five of those. Let me see. Did I put those on another sheet? I did not. So you all are going to have to write this down. Okay. So here's just a couple of statements. One of those is every believer has been gifted for ministry. Every believer. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 is your reference on this. It says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As each one has received a special gift. You might not know what your gift is, but you got one. Every believer has been gifted with a spiritual gift by God. The second statement is the Holy Spirit decides the gifts that you receive. Your reference on that is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. It says, but one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now, the context there is completely with spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are not dispensed based upon maturity or based upon merit. Uh, They are given by the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit desires. Now, let me provide just a quick thought, hopefully for clarity purposes here. Be careful about coveting somebody else's gifts. It always looks like somebody else's gifts might be more exciting than the gifts that God has given us. But here's the thing. If God wanted you to have that gift, he'd have given you that gift. And when we begin to covet somebody else's gift, it's often because we don't see the value of the gifting that God has given us. All of the gifts are used together for the edification of the body. And if you remove one of those out of the the mix, the whole body suffers because of that. Each one is to use the gifts that God gave them. The next one here is every believer is not gifted in the same way. Every believer is not gifted in the same way. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, and verses 8 and 9. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. To one is given the word of wisdom, 
to another the word of knowledge, to another faith, right on down the line. Every believer is not gifted in the same way. Our fourth thought on that is no believer receives every gift. None of us get all of them. And our passage there is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 29. It says, are, are all not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? The Greek construction of each of those statements is rhetorical. Uh, they could easily be followed by the phrase, of course not. So it would sound like this. All are not apostles, are they? Of course not. All are not prophets, are they? Of course not. The, the idea here is no believer receives every gift. And the final one I would share is spiritual gifts are for the benefit of others. God did not gift you for your own personal edification on that. He gifted you so that you would use that gift in service for others so that others may be benefited by it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 is our primary text here. It says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Then our next verse, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So whenever we are talking about discovering spiritual gifts, the primary text that people are referring to or the primary group of gifts is found over in Romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 8 and that particular one would be what's referred to as motivational gifts that's probably the most common phrase that is used of those so listen to what that passage says it says since we have gifts that differ according to the grace that God has given us each of us is to exercise them accordingly if prophecy according to the proportion of faith if service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation are he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Seven different gifts are mentioned, and with each of these seven gifts, it is accompanied by a point of instruction. The motivational gifts are defined as those gifts that motivate your thoughts and motivate your actions and motivate your reactions. So think of it like this. Everyone has, every believer has one of those gifts. And it is through the lens of that gift that you see the world around you. Probably one of the greatest examples of this, we come back to the idea of, say, two or three different people with different gifts walking into a hospital room. And the teacher walks into that hospital room and he sees the person lying in a bed and they're, they're concerned about them, but their mind goes towards the lessons. So often their question might be, so what's God teaching you in this moment? To them, there's a lesson that has to be happening in that moment. And, and for them, they see that person, and it's not that they're not concerned, but their mind immediately goes to what's the teachable moment. Then you have somebody else who walks into that room, and they've got the gift of giving. They, they are they're generous givers, and they walk in, and their mind immediately goes to the fact if that person's sitting in a hospital room, then they're not out making a living right now, which means that there's bills that are piling up and means that there's needs that are going unmet. So their thought is many times, is there anything that I can do to help you financially? Are there any needs there? They're looking at the same person, but they're looking at that individual through the eyes of their gifting. 
Then you got the person who has the gift of mercy. Oh, that person's going to walk into that room and say, oh, brother, I am so sorry. I, and I mean, they're going to be crying with you, and they're going to be tearing up, and they're going to be like, my heart hurts. Like, they feel what that person feels when they are in that hospital bed. They're looking through the lens of their gifting. Now, here's the thing. We need all of the gifts. Every one of them has a benefit right there. And when each person is using those gifts, the entire body is edified and blessed because of it. But here's one of the problems that comes with spiritual gifts if we don't understand it. We get mad at other Christians for not seeing the same thing we saw. And we're mad because everybody else isn't wanting to join together and quickly meet the need, but somebody else is ministering in a completely different way. And all of the gifts are necessary. That's why I want to take a little bit more time in explaining that. The gifts work together here. So, all of that being said, how can you discover your spiritual gifts? I'm going to give you a website. And for those of you who might be struggling to see this, it is https colon forward slash, forward slash, gifts.churchgrowth.org. This particular site has been one that has been around for years and years and years. And basically, you go to the site. It's an online spiritual gifts inventory test. You can take it right there on the site. They will give you your results immediately from that. But they also give ways in which that gifting is used in the body, ways that the enemy attacks that gift in the body. All of that is important. So, by the way, that's a free resource right there. So this is a good one, like store this away because chances are you're going to run into some other believers along the way and they're going to ask you a question like, man, I just don't know how I'm gifted. Like, how do I discover my spiritual gifts? Be like, I remember there was this one thing on a, a question and answer night at church and he talked about this. Here's one of the best things you can do. If you happen to have an iPhone, I'm sure there's Android devices that will do the same thing, but I don't have an Android device. I got an iPhone. So anyway, there's a note section on there. And in that note section, I go through, and if there's important websites for specific things, I'm going to put spiritual gifts as a note, and I'm going to put a website off to the side of that. It's a great way to keep those things handy so that you can pull them up whenever you would like. All right, so that is our part as far as on spiritual gifts. Here is our next question that is coming to you. Question number two comes back to eternal security. So here's the question that came to me. If you were saved, believing God died on the cross for your sins and rose three days later so that you would have eternity with him, then somewhere along the way, you denounce God. Do you lose your salvation? Great question. Let's take a moment and pull out the big pieces going on here. This is a question that deals with a person's faith, the nature of the gospel, the character of God, the essence of salvation, it deals with eternal security. All of those big pieces are a part of this. And the reason that's important is if you just quickly, like for example, I could go through and say, if somewhere along the way you denounced God, do you lose your salvation? I could say, no. It's an answer. But if you don't understand the other pieces, the person doesn't walk away with the security that they need to walk away with in that particular moment. So the statement that has often been shared, especially within Baptist churches, is once saved, always saved. Okay, let me tell you why 
knowing the answer is one part, but knowing why that's the answer is also incredibly important. That statement, once saved, always saved, is important for a person to understand their eternal security. Here's the the big issue that you face with that. Until Christians are secure in their standing, they're not going to do a lot of standing. Did you hear me? Until Christians are sure in their standing, they're not going to do a lot of standing. They're not going to have a lot of boldness in the gospel. They're not going to be living out their faith in the way that they could be living out their faith. This issue comes back to a side of eternal security. So with that, I want to walk through one of the best passages. I believe it's one of the most important passages in your Bible on the topic of eternal security. If you've got your Bibles, feel free to turn over there if you would like. It's going to be over in John chapter 10, verses 24 through 30. John 10, 24 through 30. So in the text, here's what it's saying. Starting in verse 24 and 25, it says, The Jews gathered around him, speaking of Jesus, and were saying to him, How long will you keep us here in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify about me. Now let's pause there for just a moment. The issue is not that he refused to tell them his identity. The issue is they refused to believe what he told them. So then in verse 26, it picks up and it says, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Now there's twice inside of these two verses that Jesus says, you do not believe. You do not believe. But this time he tells them why you don't believe. Because you're not of my sheep. Now he established that idea back in verses 3, verse 5, verse 14, as well as in verse 16. He told them that his sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and he leads them out and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. That's what he is telling them in that section. And then he told them, I know my own and my own know me and they hear my voice. Now, this is why this is so important. The reason that group, according to John 10, the reason they did not believe is because they didn't hear his voice, they didn't follow him, they did not know him because they were not of him. They were not a part of his sheep. Now, all of that leads into this context, this idea of eternal security. So in verses 27 through 30, it says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, he is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Nowhere in Scripture are you going to find a stronger text teaching eternal security than this particular passage. Jesus clearly taught that our security, our salvation, does not depend upon human effort. It depends completely upon the sovereign choice of God. We cannot lose our salvation because it is the shepherd who is holding his sheep. Now, there's four promises that are in this text. I'm going to give them to you very quickly. The shepherd keeps his sheep. That's promise number one. 
In John chapter 6, verse 39, it says, This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. To believe that the good shepherd is going to lose one of his sheep is to deny the teachings of Christ, it is to defame the character of Christ, and it is to suggest that Jesus is incompetent as a shepherd. He says in the text, all that the Father has given me, I lose nothing. The shepherd is the one who keeps the sheep. Second, the shepherd leads his sheep. This is important. Verse 27, it says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. The sheep both hear his voice and they follow. They hear his voice and they follow. This verse is a promise of security and it's a test of salvation. It leads us to ask the question, do I hear his voice and do I follow? And if, if, if we're not hearing his voice and if we're not following Jesus, but at some point we prayed a prayer and we're holding on to that as the assurance of our salvation, he would say, my sheep hear my voice and they follow. By the way, it says nothing in this text of my sheep hear my voice and they follow until they don't hear me any longer or choose not to follow me anymore. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. The next piece is the shepherd reconciles his sheep. Verse 28, it said, and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish. Uh, Jesus identified eternal life in John 17, 3 as knowing Christ, knowing God. Uh, this is a piece that we bring up constantly, that the fact that humanity was created for a relationship with God. Our sins separated us from that relationship. There was nothing that we could do to make things right ourselves. Jesus did for us what we could not do. He lived a sinless life. He died a substitutionary death on the cross for our sin. He rose from the dead three days later that we might have life, and he offers eternal life, a reconciled relationship to those who repent of their sin by placing faith in Jesus. That is the gospel message there. Now, here's the beauty of the gospel message. Since we did nothing to earn our salvation, we can do nothing to lose our salvation. The one who called us is the one who holds us. Our salvation is not based upon our performance. Our salvation is based upon the righteousness of Christ. Here's the last piece on that one. The shepherd holds his sheep. Verses 28 and 29, it says, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Okay, this is, this is beautiful. This is beautiful. Okay, false shepherds who were called thieves and robbers in verse number one, they cannot snatch them out of the Father's hand. False prophets who were symbolized as the wolf in verse number 12, they cannot snatch them out of the Father's hand. The devil, as cunning as he might be, cannot snatch them out of the Father's hand. You and I cannot snatch ourselves out of the Father's hand. Now imagine for just a moment that a person is in the hands of Christ. He's saying that my sheep, I hold on to them, I hold them, they're in my hands. No one can snatch them out of my hands. 
Let's say the loving fingers of the Savior are holding that believer secure. But then he also said, and my Father who is greater than all, you can't snatch him out of his hand. It's almost like he's saying, I've got you covered in my hand, and my Father's got his hand as well. Covered once, covered twice, covered completely. We are safe in the Father's hands. That being said, when people are doubting salvation, and they're not sure, like this person, they, they professed Christ, but then they walked away. Listen, if we can choose to walk away, it is because he has not had us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, they went out from us because they were not of us. If you're truly saved, you cannot lose your salvation. Now here's our next section that we get into. The next question, and by the way, these will go very quick. Those were the, the two that were the hardest. The next question that came to me was about this is the gospel. The question was, when will this is the gospel be put into action in Albany? Well, it was actually put into action over four years ago. Let me tell you how that happened. On one of my trips to refresh, Pastor Michael Catt asked if I would take a part of an afternoon and walk the entire staff through the basics of this is the gospel. And that's exactly what we did back at that time. Well, since that time, pieces and principles from this is the gospel have worked their way into many parts of ministry here. For example, it's been incorporated into the sports and rec ministry, the counseling ministry, altar counseling ministry, church planting endeavors, student ministry, college ministry, missions, some of the connect groups, Discover Sherwood, overall vision of Sherwood, and a number of other areas along the way. At the beginning of last year, I walked through on a Sunday night, six different Sunday evenings, I walk through the overview of this is the gospel, laying out the theology that's needed for this is the gospel to make sure that everybody had a basic understanding of what that was about. Also, last year, as we hosted the Christian World uh, Worldview Film Festival, that was a piece that we wanted to bless each of those who came with that we made an investment in their life. So we gave a copy of the material for this is the gospel to them. Also. I've had a chance to meet with a lot of pastors around the city, and inevitably, they will ask the same question. What are you all doing to disciple people? And I've said, here's a piece that we've worked on. This is what we're working through. And as I share that, they're very interested, and I've gotten a chance to give away many, many copies of the material to different pastors, different denominations around the city. Also, when John LaGrange came on staff this last summer as director for This is the Gospel, he was asked by the local Baptist Association if he would show up at some of the meetings and share with other pastors, Baptist pastors within the local association, about this is the gospel. And that's exactly what he did. He is currently working with different ministries right here at Sherwood to weave the gospel and discipleship into each part of the ministry. Between last month and this month, we have been invited by Georgia Baptist to come to four different events with upwards of 500 or so pastors from around the state. And each time they're asking if we would set up a booth and share about this is the gospel with pastors throughout the state. 
Also, as an effort to be able to pour into pastors and pour into other churches, we are giving copies of all of the material to people, to pastors who show up at those events. Currently, the website for This is the Gospel is getting a major overhaul. It is looking beautiful. There are new language translations that are in the works right now. Lots of other things that are happening. Now, I think a part of why there is confusion on this is like, when is This is the Gospel going to start in Albany? I think a part of the reason is because people sometimes see it as a curriculum or a program. Okay. When we see something as a curriculum or a program, there's usually a start date and a campaign, and we're going to build it up, and then after everybody goes through it, then we go on to something else. Okay, here's the thing, though. Just as much as the gospel message itself is not a discipleship resource, it's not a Bible study, it is not a program, it is not a fad, it is the essence of everything we do. This is the gospel, is just helping people recognize that as to how the gospel weaves through every part of life and every part of ministry. So it's almost the same as saying when a person goes through the gospel, all right, when do they stop going through the gospel and move on to something else? You, you don't go past the gospel. So in this, this is the gospel is helping people frame out ideas that, Lord willing, you're using over and over and sharing with the next person and the next verse. It's bringing the gospel into every facet of life. So if you have more questions about this is the gospel, I encourage you, reach out to John LaGrange. His uh, email address is johnl at sherwoodbaptist.net. All right. Now, final question. Lord willing, I will be able to get to this one in just a moment, maybe. Question four is about devotional time. So I was asked the question, what is your morning routine? What do you do with your time before going into the office? All right, I'm going to try my best to do this fast. Uh, my day starts between 3 to 4 a.m. Between 3 to 4 a.m., I am praying through the focus of that day. Each of my days has a different focus. For example, on Monday, it is lead and develop the internal ministry. Tuesday is lead and counsel for deeper ministry, then lead and connect for broader ministry, lead and dream for future ministry, lead and follow, or, uh, follow and grow for personal ministry, abide and rest for healthy ministry, and then lead and feed for public ministry. Every day there's a different focus, and every day I'm spending time just asking God, what do you want that to look like today? So between 4 to 5.30 a.m., that is my devotional time. Um, Every morning, I journal. In fact, this is one of my interesting experiments. I've been going through a five-year journal every single day. There is a small section that you are writing something for that day. This is just a way for me. I record blessings. I record parts of what God has been doing along the way. So I journal everything. Also, at the same time, I go through and I read a little excerpt from a devotional book of some kind. I'm currently going through The Valley of Vision. Fantastic book, Puritan Prayers. I'd encourage you to pick up a copy if you don't already have one. Then I've got this other little handy-dandy case over here that has colorful cards, in case you cannot see those. And each of these cards has different Bible verses on it. So each day I pull out four different Bible verses 
And I spend time praying through and meditating on those four verses. And then I put them back through, rotate, pull out another four for the next day. To me, a part that helps me in meditating on Scripture is finding a small little section and just sit with that small little piece. So I take some time going through that. Then beyond that, I will go through and I read the proverb that corresponds with the day of the month. So like today is the fifth so it will be Proverbs chapter 5. Then I'm going to sink into a time of studying the Word where the focus is on knowing God. After that happens, I am going to enter into daily prayers on behalf of my family. I will step into ministry and life prayers that correspond with that day of the week. And that allows me to be able to cover in prayer every different part of ministry that we have going on I just break it down into a section on each of the different days throughout the week and then I got a final part is that's with intercessory prayer when people send me prayer requests I put those together and that's another prayer list that I go through so all of that happens between say 4 to 5 30 and if I find myself running short on time then I come back and I'm praying through the day and I'm working in some other prayer times along the way um, from that point, from 5.30 to 6 a.m., I read over the news. I try to wish as many people a happy birthday on social media as I can. And uh, I see what's happening with the rest of the day from 6 to 6.30. Myself and Bria and our, our dog, Sugar, we go on a walk every morning. It gives us a chance to talk and to be together, get a little bit of exercise, and uh, spend some of our best time during the day together. Then from 6.30 to 7, we have breakfast, whoever it is that might be around at the house, which is usually myself and Bree at this point because our girls are away at college and doing college stuff. And then from 7 to 7.30 is weight training in the garage. And then from 7.30 forward is message prep each day and every day going from that point forward. So that is my life in the morning time. And uh, so anyway, hopefully that gives people a little bit of an answer as to what's going on there. And we got through four questions tonight. And it is 6.56. I'd like to go on record as saying I'm still getting you out of here by 7 o'clock tonight. But anyway, that being said, we've gone over a lot of the preliminary pieces. The next time we do one of these, it'll be nothing but just walking through different questions. And again... I will bring some of the more controversial ones that have come to me at that time, and we will let you all know in advance. All right? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this evening. Lord, we ask that you would allow our hearts and our minds to be filled with spiritual truth, to walk with you. And God, we will be grateful for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful night.